I want you to open your Bibles today. We're going to be walking through two different passages. And so I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3 is where we're going to spend our time today. Uh, Before we get to that passage, I'm going to share another passage with you because we're kind of leading off of what we talked about last week. We talked about love in action. Now, if you remember it, again, if you were here a couple of weeks back when we talked through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, talking about what it means to love according to God's plan, according to God's definition of what that looked like. And then last week, we, we talked about how to actually act out on that, how to actually put that into practice, to make that part of our daily journey, our daily walk, to actually live it out, not just talk it out. And so we're good at talking it out, but I mean like living it, like, like so that people around us, our family, our friends, our coworkers, even the strangers among us, that they would see in us that, that, that we're actually living according to God's plan and God's principle. And we talked a little bit last week about that, that one part of that passage that we talked about last week, uh, that we have a requirement like for men, like to, to be men, to recognize that, that, that unlike what the culture talks about or says about us, that we're not bullies and we're not babies, right? right? We're not like throwing our weight around and we're not cowering in fear in the corner, that we are leading with courage, with strength, and we're doing it in a godly way, that we are men, that today we're going to continue talking about that a little bit, and we're going to kind of jump in here And again, I just want to just preface what I'm about to share with you today from God's Word, that this is going to be like aimed at the men in the room. And I was actually yesterday, or two days ago, I walked, I went to lunch with Sherry and Natalie, and and as I was walking in, there was a lady in our church that was there, and and she was actually talking about the fact she was looking forward to church, because she said, I'm getting my elbow ready to elbow my husband, all the, because I had mentioned what we were going to be talking about today. But, But know this, this is aimed at the guys in the room, but it's relevant for everyone. Now, here's why it's relevant for everyone, because as we walk through this this passage, as we walk through this statement that we're going to be looking at today, every single one of us need to live our lives according to the principles of what we're about to share. But I want to really just like aim at the men. And here's why I want to aim at the men, because I'm afraid that the women do a far better job of living this out than we do. I'm afraid that in our culture today, Men are missing the mark of what God expects from us and out of us. And what I've seen over and over and over again, and I think probably largely you have as well, that the women are, are like, they're getting it. They understand it, and they're, they're, they're living this stuff out. And so, so I want to recognize it's relevant for all of us. But like today, for guys, like, like this is, I hope, for some of us anyway, it's kind of a gut punch for us. It's like one of those moments like, like somebody coming up and just like catching us off guard and, and, and hitting us in the stomach and we kind of lose our breath. I want you to lose your breath today. I want you for a moment to recognize that, that this is not like some guy up on the stage telling you this is what you ought to do. This is the God of the universe telling you what you ought to do because today we're going to walk through his word and see what his word says about all of us. But today, guys, it's for you. Now, ladies, I just want to encourage you. Like, 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 feel free to elbow. But recognize this, that when you're elbowing, that, that he has permission to elbow back when needed, okay? Because it goes both ways. So, so just use that elbow sparingly. Like, think about it before you do it, because you might just regret it at some point, like down the rest of this, this time together. But before we jump into 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want to read this passage. And I want to read this passage because, again, we, we celebrated it today in our, in our time of dedication this morning with our children. And, and so I, I want to preface what we're going to be walking into with this idea, is that this is kind of this idea of something that we pass from generation to generation. 
I've got four kids, and I want to pass to them, like living out what God calls us to live. As a dad, I want my sons to grow up recognizing their responsibility as men. I want my daughters to grow up and recognize their responsibility as godly women. And so I want to read this passage because it's a great picture of a dad talking to a son and saying, this is what you need to do. 1 Kings chapter 2. In 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, this is David, King David, talking to Solomon right before David is about to die. And in 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, David talking to, to Solomon. At the time of King David's death, as the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son Solomon. And I love that statement. He gave this charge. Like, like you know, it's like you think about it now. He's on his deathbed. Not long, he knows he's going to be dying. And so like this big moment, you can see this like this movie moment. There's music playing in the background, right? I mean, there's the music playing and it's beginning to build and build and build up to a crescendo here as David, the king of Israel, is giving this charge to his son Solomon. But listen to these words. He said this, I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. Take courage and be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all of His ways. Keep the decrees, the commands, the regulations and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all that you do and wherever you go. If you do this, then the Lord will keep the promise that He made to me. And He told me, if your descendants live as they should and follow me faithfully with all of their heart and soul, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Now, let me just, full disclosure... I recognize that this is an Old Testament passage of King David talking to soon-to-be King Solomon. I recognize that they're talking about being the king of a specific country, being the king of Israel, and, and, and God's promise to David and God's promise to Abraham before him. I, I recognize this is an Old Testament thing that's flowing through the, the pages of, of the Old Testament. I get that. But as we read that passage, one thing that I know absolutely true— Every word that we just read, while it was a promise to King David, then to King Solomon, the kings of Israel, the promises that are found in there, the statements that are found in there are absolutely relevant for each and every one of us. You might change the dynamics a little bit. There's no one in this room that will ever be king. But if every single one of us will do exactly what our God has called us to do, if every single one of us will follow every command and every statement found within the Word of God, if we will faithfully walk with God for the rest of our lives, then God will keep His promise to us, and He will take care of generation after generation, father to son, father to daughter, mother, son, mother to daughter. God will honor and bless us if we do the right thing and then teach the right thing so that our kids will do the right thing. It'll make a difference. We know that God's got a plan and God's got a promise and God's got a, a journey for us to walk and we've got to be faithful in it. And so, Reading that charge from David to Solomon, now I want to turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And in 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to jump into this passage. But before we read this passage, I want to make sure that I make this statement because it's going to all kind of come together as we walk through this, this passage in a moment. But I want us to say this statement is that what I'm about to read 
just like what I read about King David was specific to King David, what I'm about to read is specific to, depending on what translation you're using, to bishops, to overseers, to pastors. It's written specifically to leaders within the local church. But while we read that, I don't want you to think about this, like this is a requirement if you're going to lead in the church. I want you to think about this. This is a requirement if you're going to follow God. And you'll see why that makes sense in just a few moments. 1 Timothy chapter 3, again, beginning with verse 1. This is a faithful saying, Paul writes. If a man desires the position of a bishop or a pastor or a leader within the church, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate and sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, now how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, We're going to walk through this passage today, but before we do that, again, I want to set the stage for what we're talking about. We've read two passages today. One, King David talking to King Solomon, soon to be King Solomon, an Old Testament passage. We just read this passage, Paul writing, talking about the leader within the church. Now, there was a statement as we read in there, talks about how that a leader within the church must know how to take care of his own household, right? You heard that, right? Because then it said this, because if he doesn't know how to take care of his own household, then how in the world is he going to take care of the house of God? Right? You heard that passage, right? You heard that statement. Now, I want to read one more verse to you, and then I want to kind of put all this together. Okay? So if you're sitting there, it's like, what's he talking about? Here's what it comes down to. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Turn over two two pages or so in your your your, uh, Bible. 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 8 says this, But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. He has denied the faith, and he is worse than an unbeliever. Now, here's the key for what we're going to talk about today. That passage in 1 Timothy chapter 5, and what we read a few moments ago in 1 Timothy chapter 3, two different places where it says if he doesn't take care of his own household, if he's not doing the things that he needs to do at home, then he is lost the faith, he's denied the faith, and he's worse than an unbeliever. And then over in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that if he can't take care of his own house, then how in the world is he going to lead the house of God? Take those two statements, pull them out for a moment, and here's the declaration that I want to start with today. According to what I read in that passage, I believe this. God makes it very clear that what we do in our families and what we do in our homes is more important than what we do in our church. And so when we read that passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that talks about, hey, if you're going to lead in the church, these are the requirements for a leader in the church. This is what that that person must look like. And if God believes that leading in the home is more important than leading in the church, then here's what I would say, and here's the premise for what we're going to talk about today. Then this list that we're going to walk through in just a few moments from 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
If it's required of the person who stands on a stage in a church, if it's required of that person who leads in the church, then you can guarantee, according to God's plan and God's will, it is just as important that if you lead him in your home, that you abide by the same rules. So, so you, do you understand what I'm saying? Does everybody get, raise your hand if you understand what I'm saying. Okay, most of you. Okay, so let me, let me say it one, one more way. Okay, so here's the thing. If God gave us a list in 1 Timothy chapter 3 of saying, if you're going to lead in the house of God, this is what you must do. But also if we find where God says leading in your homes and your families is more important than leading in the church, then doesn't it make sense that if God requires this to lead in his house, that he at least requires this and more to lead in our home? Does that make sense? Everybody got that? Raise your hand if you got that. Okay, does anybody not get it? I'll come out and just sit down with you for a few minutes and Okay, so we're good. Okay, cool. I was going to make everybody just kind of wait for a moment, and we'll get Scott back up here to play a song or something while I came out and explained it to you. So, if that's the case, then we're going to walk through this passage not from the context of what it takes to lead in the church. We're going to walk through this passage of what God requires of all of us as we lead, again, men and women, but I think that men don't do as good of a job as women do in this area. Now, you might disagree with me, but, but I think as we look at our culture, as we look at what's happening in our culture, it seems like men, in like in a large and a very big and a significant way, have been absent from this. And we need to stop it. Okay? So, so that's what we're going to talk about. So let's walk through and let's kind of look again. What does God require of us? If we're going to be the men of God that he wants us to be, if we're going to be the kind of leader that God wants us to be, here are the things that are critical. And the first one is this, we must be blameless. That passage in in 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2, it says they must be blameless. Now understand this, this does not mean sinless. It doesn't mean without sin, because there's only one person that has ever walked the face of the earth without sin. And who was that? Jesus, right. So that, not, Jesus is not here, right? He's, we're not Jesus, right? I mean, he's here. Okay, yeah, I'm getting letters tomorrow. Jesus is here. No, okay, I know he's here, but you ain't him and I ain't him, okay? So that's what we're getting at. So, so the, the, the clear picture here is this, is it doesn't mean that we must be sinless because that's impossible, but it does mean that we need to be blameless, which is absolutely possible. And here's how you live a blameless life, that you recognize that there is a a very short thread between commission and confession. That that as we walk through life in our sinful nature, all of us are sinners, according to Romans chapter 3. All of us have a sinful nature, according to God's Word. We know that. But if we're going to walk through life in a blameless manner, it means this. When you blow it, confess it. When you commit it, get on your knees and confess it right away. And then there's a third element of that. So there's commission, there's confession, and there's a turning. That's repentance. Repentance means not just say, God, I'm sorry. Repentance means, God, I'm sorry, and I'm going to turn and walk the other direction. So it means that like when you commit a sin, and like you know it's sin, and you say, oh God, I'm sorry for what I just did, and then 15 minutes later you're doing it again, No, that's not repentance. That's like trying to fake cover what you're doing. That's like using God as a crutch, as an excuse to make yourself feel better. And that is not what that's all about. So there's commission and there's confession 
and then there's repentance. It's turning. It's walking the other way. And that's what living the blameless life looks like. Now, how does that relate back to us? It means this. Number one, we've all blown it. We all mess up. Every single one of us, we commit sin. We, we, we do things that we know we shouldn't do. We, we get to a place where we're making mistakes. Absolutely. But it means that our heart is so tender towards God and so fixed on what God's plan and what God's design and God's desire is that the minute that you commit that sin, you instantly, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life, it's like he just took a bat and whacked you upside the head because you know, man, I just blew it. Man, I just messed up. And don't you, look, be honest now. I mean, I'm not asking for like show of hands here, but like, like, like when you get to a place in your life when you're kind of walking with God and really like connected to God and you feel like, man, I'm really doing, the, I'm doing it the right way here. And then sin creeps in. Doesn't it feel like you just got smacked upside the head? Like, like you just know, man, that, that was wrong. Like I know it. Like that was wrong. Now you have no problem knowing it was wrong when you were a child and you did something your mom or dad told you not to or you didn't, told you not to do, right? I mean, like you, you, like they spent, okay, you do not do this. And then like 15 minutes later, you did that. And you just know, man, I, yeah, I did wrong. Yeah, I mean, I did wrong. We have no, well, listen, that's the same thing now. The Holy Spirit is within us and we're a child of God and we come to Christ as Lord and Savior. The Holy Spirit is in us and the Holy Spirit's purpose is to be the comforter, yes, but he's also there to be the convictor. Is that a word, convictor? I'm not sure if that's a word, but I think it is. If it's not, it should be. And so it's as if he hits us right upside the head, right? Hits us right upside the head and says, yeah, that is wrong. And you just know it. And so when you live a life that's blameless, like you're walking through life and when sin creeps in, it's like, man, I grieve in my heart over what I just did. God, I'm sorry. God, I'm going to do my best not to do it again. And you turn and you walk the other way. That's what living the blameless life is. And make no mistake. As pastor of this church, I require, I'm required by God, according to his word, to live a blameless life. As a follower of Christ, I'm required to live a blameless life. And so are you. Every single one of you. Blameless. Let's keep moving through this passage. So we're to be blameless. Secondly, we're to be pure. It says in verse 2, in the second part of the verse, it says the husband of one wife. Now there's been lots of... Uh, of conversation, if you will, lots of um, arguments at times, lots of, of different uh, confusion and, and discrepancy over like what this is talking about. Does this mean that number one, if you're going to be a pastor, you have to be married? Does it mean as a pastor that you can only have been married one time? Does it mean as a pastor that you can't be married to three and four and five women at the same time? I'm guessing the answer is yes to that one for sure, okay? I mean, there's lots of confusion, lots of, you know, arguments and different people have gone back and forth and they've argued about it since the beginning of time. I'm not going to get into that, okay? We're not going to run down that road because that's the, the point is this. It's a call to purity, okay? It's a call to purity. It's a call to recognize that, that we must live a life that is outside of the scope of living and walking in immorality, of walking in an idea of lust as the world uh, so clearly is gripped by. In this passage of 1 John chapter 3, verse 3, it says this, and all who have this eager expectation, we used this verse last week, will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. 
If your eyes are fixed on God, if your eyes are fixed on who he is and what he's done and what he wants you to do, man, it's going to drive you to purity. Now, man, let me tell you what that means. It means this, is that you are going to be careful of what you look at. I mean, we, we, we all get the idea that immorality is wrong. We all get the idea that adultery is cheating on our spouses. We get that that's wrong, right? I mean, does anybody think that's okay? Don't, 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 don't. Okay. We all know that's wrong. But you know what's interesting is Jesus said this, if you look upon a woman with lust in your heart, guess what you just did? Guess what you just did? You just committed adultery. It's, it's sin. It's equal. Why? Because sin is sin before God. And when we have lust in our hearts towards someone, it's as if we just cheated on our spouse. And so this idea, this picture of this passage in 1 Timothy chapter 3, when it says the husband of one wife, it means this, is your eyes are fixed on God and your eyes are fixed on your spouse, period. That's it. Guys, that means stop looking at stuff on your computer you shouldn't look at. Ladies, stop looking at things on your computer that you should not look at. God clearly tells us that sexual sin is one of the most damaging and destructive elements of sin that there could be across the board. All sin is equal before God. But look what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 8. It says this, 18. Run from sexual sin. Run from sexual sin. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. A man of God cannot live his life running after the things of this world. A man of God cannot live his life trying to be the man of God, trying to be who God's called you to be, if you are also running with the world as it relates to sexual immorality. Pornography is one of the most damaging and destructive things that exists on the face of the earth today. Satan has figured out That if he can get into your phone, if he can get into your computer, if he can get into your TV screen, he knows this. If he can do that, he can get into your life and he can stop you. And we fall so quickly into that that, that, that cesspool of the things that the world says are are cool and that we laugh at and it's funny and it's not a big deal. Let me just tell you something. It's a big deal. And when God's Word very clearly tells us that we have a call to live in purity, you cannot live as a man of God when you're also not living as a man of purity. And ladies, again, same exact thing. It's a call to change. It's a call, again, commission, confession, and repentance, turning away. And there's a, I was in a meeting this past week down in Orlando with some church planters. I was there with Brian Bloy, who's one of our our church planters went out of here 21 years ago, planted a church in Atlanta, one of my dear friends. And we were talking about some things that, that are out there. And he talked about this. And you've heard of this, this company called Covenant Eyes that is a, a accountability uh, program for computers where, like, you can have accountability partners of what websites you visit. The problem is this, is that Covenant, Covenant Eyes does not work when it comes to things that you can actually get to through other websites or through other apps or through other things on your phone that you can look at. You can be on a completely innocent website or a completely innocent app, and when you're there, you can actually look at things that, is, that are pornography, and no one would ever know according to those accountability things. Covenant Eyes figured that out. And so they're now launching a new thing that's actually a screen accountability partner where it actually looks at your screen. There's an app on your phone. There's an app on your computer that actually sees what you see regardless of how you got there. 
You don't have to type in a website. You don't have to click on anything. It just, it sees what you see. And through artificial intelligence, it's taken over the world. Through artificial intelligence, it'll actually know that what you're looking at is whether it's good or whether it's bad, whether it's, you know, pornography or whatever it might be. And it will send that screenshot blurred out to your accountability partner. And Brian, and I, Brian was sharing that with me and what they're doing. Man, that is awesome. I mean, we need to have those kinds of things in place. Why? To keep ourselves pure. Here at the church, every computer that's owned by the church, every staff member that, that works at our church that has access to a computer, we have those systems in place on those computers so that no matter who you are, no matter what department you work in, that there's an IT area over there, and they know if you go somewhere you shouldn't go, we know it. And I can guarantee you we're going to deal with it if they do. Why? To whom much is given, much is required. We've been given so much by God. We have been blessed so much by God that, man, we better live to a higher level. All of us, not just those of us who serve in the church. So we've been called to live blameless lives. We've been called to live lives that are pure. But the third thing is we've got to live lives that are calm. Calm. Now, you're not going to find that word in this passage, but it's kind of a, uh, kind of a conglomeration, if you will, of a lot of different words that we've read. Look what it says in verse 2, the second part of that, or third part of that verse. Temperate. It says sober-minded. Verse 3 says not violent. Uh, the second part of verse 3 says gentle, not quarrelsome. In other words, we have a requirement by God not to live as angry, over the top, ready to explode at every moment, ready to you know, fight whenever the opportunity arises, not ready to, to jump on someone every time we disagree with them. We have as a requirement, if we're going to be who God wants us to be as men of God, as women of God, man, we got to live our lives calm. Not like a, you know, a stick of dynamite ready to explode at the first sign of trouble. We talked about this a few, few weeks ago. We were in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Man, this is a, a call by God. Man, we've got to live lives that are calm. Look what it says in the New, uh, the new uh, uh, the Holman Testament uh, commentary. It says this, A temperate person is free from the influences of passion, lust, emotion, or personal gain. That's what temperate and sober-minded really means. A lack of the influence of passion, of lust, of emotion, or personal gain. Now you think, wait a minute, does that mean guys can't have emotion? No, but it means this. That if something goes on that we don't like, if we see something on Twitter that we don't agree with, if we see something on Facebook that we're not really connected to, that we don't agree with, that we're not ready to lash out and attack and jump on somebody in the instant, in the moment that that happens. There are Christians today, we talked about a few weeks ago, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, Christians today who are throwing their testimony out the window on Twitter and Facebook, they're throwing their testimonies out the window because they're attacking people who disagree with them whether politically or whether, you know, social, whatever it might be, they are literally throwing their testimony out of the window. Stop. If we're going to be people that God uses to reach the world with the love of Jesus Christ, then we have to live our lives calm. We have to live our lives in that love if we're going to make that difference, if we're going to make that impact. We have a requirement to do that. And so we've got to live. That means slow to anger. We talked about that a few weeks ago. The idea of being non-combatant. And that doesn't mean like the kind of people that go in the army and won't go to war because they're non-combatants. I mean this. I mean non-combatant in the sense that when someone attacks us and when someone disagrees with us and we want to attack, that we actually show the love of Christ, that we do things differently. Again, the example, when Jesus was attacked in the, in the garden, 
right, when they came after him to arrest him, and Peter took out the sword and cut off the guy's ear like most of us would have done, like you would think that Jesus may have done, what did he say? Don't do that. He reached out and put the ear back on the guy, right? Why? Because we have a requirement to live the love of Christ, not just to know it. So calm. Next one, respectable. In other words, looked at with honor. Verse 2, it says of good behavior. Verse 3, not given to wine. Now I'm going to step on a few toes here. Can I step on some toes? I'm going to step on some toes here. Because when you talk about the statement, not given to wine, it's the Greek word pyronos, which means literally like not lingering with the cup. Not lingering with the cup. Or in other words, not captivated by the cup. Not captured by the cup. Okay, that, that's what that passage means. Now, some people will spend time talking about, hey, we, we, we live in grace because of Christ. Right? We don't live under the law anymore, right? We know that. We live in grace, which means that we're free, like we're freed from the things of the law. Right? You go through Scripture, there are, there are Christians, good, wonderful people. Godly people today who will talk about, well, you know, it's, it, it, it's not a big deal. As long as we're not, you know, we, we don't do too much. We don't drink to the point where we're drunk and, you know, that it changes us and it changes. You know, as long as you do that, it's okay. It's fine. You know, it's okay. Listen, I'm not going to get into, a, you know, kind of this argument or this conversation about like whether wine or, or alcohol is good or bad as it relates to God's word. I'm not going to get into like what does the Bible talk about when it talks about wine you know, there's some people say, well, yeah, but it wasn't fermented. And, you know, it talks about, you know, maybe it wasn't same, the same kind of wine or the levels of alcohol with it. I'm not going to get into all that. Here's what I'm going to tell you is this. The Bible says, if we're going to lead, then we've got to be not given to wine. Okay, so let's just take it right for its word. Greek word, pyronos, which means this, not lingering with the cup, not captivated, captivated or captured by the cup. So I think we would all agree, number one, at the very base level, like, like none of us, like being drunk is wrong, right? You get that, right? I think everybody gets that. God's word is clear. I mean, like there's no argument about that. But let's take it one step further. Lingering with the cup, captured by the cup, captivated by the cup. So in other words, like, like drinking just a little bit, is that okay or is it not okay? Well, here's what I would say to you. I would say that the problem we have is this, is if we're going to be leaders in our culture and our community, if we're going to like walk in the love of Christ, if we're going to be looked at as leaders as it relates to uh, God's word and, and, and the church of Jesus Christ, here's the problem. The problem is, is that the world out there thinks alcohol is not a big deal. Nothing wrong with it, man. Go out and do whatever you want. Friday night, man, it's, you know, it's five o'clock sometime. You know, I mean, it's, it's that whole idea. It's not a big deal, right? And so that's the way the world lives, right? And so when we as Christians live the same way, then they see that there's nothing much different and so they might be like completely captivated by the cup, completely like running that way, and maybe you don't. But yet when we as Christians go in the same places and do the same things, maybe not to the same level, here's what we're doing. We're giving tacit approval to whatever that person might be doing. They might be like, oh, you know, like, like looking at us as an example, like, is it okay to drink? And here's what I would say clearly, and I believe this with all my heart. There is never, ever, 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 one more, ever been a family that has been made better by alcohol. Never. Never. Ever, ever, ever. Unless your last name is Coors. I think they're doing okay, like money-wise. They, they may be made a little bit better that way. But seriously... There's never been a family that has been made better by alcohol. There are thousands upon thousands upon thousands of families that have been destroyed by alcohol. 
Now, if that's true, then if we as leaders in the church and leaders in our families and leaders as it relates to God's plan and God's kingdom on this earth, then when we sit down and when we drink, and that person sitting way in the corner over there looking at us who is struggling, whose family has fallen apart, who, whose, whose marriage may be falling apart, maybe her child who, who is like lost in addiction, and they're looking across the room, and they know that we are a person who claims the name of Christ, and we're a person who, who talks about our, our Christianity and our faith and walking with God, and we're sitting in a booth, and we're drinking too. Here's what we're doing. We're giving that person an opportunity way in the corner over there. I'm not pointing at you, but way in the corner over there looking at us and saying this after their lives are falling apart because of alcohol, and they're looking at us and saying, you know what? I don't want to have anything to do with that. It's a testimony issue. Now, I know I'm stepping on some toes, and I know I'll get some letters and some emails tomorrow. I posted something on Twitter last year about alcohol, and when I did, I got hundreds of responses angry because how dare would I say that alcohol is wrong, some of them coming from pastors, okay? Now, here's what I would say, and again, I'll say, I said it to them, and I'm going to say it to you. Um, you may disagree with me wholeheartedly. Okay. But I want to go all the way back to what my dad told me when I was a little kid. He said, I'm not going to get into the arguments of alcohol in the Bible, whether wine was good or whether it was bad or whether it was fermented. I'm not going to do that. All I know is this. When I was 14 years old, when I watched my dad getting sicker and sicker and sicker and sicker, and then at the age of 15, when I sat by his bed, when he died because of cirrhosis of the liver because of alcohol... I lost my dad when I was 15 years old, my dad said. He said, here's the deal. I don't need to worry about whether alcohol is okay or whether it was fermented in the Bible. I'm not going to. All I know is this, is it took my dad away from me, and I am never, ever, ever, ever going to say it's okay for the rest of my life. Let me just tell you something. There are families in this room today that have been destroyed by alcohol. There are families in our community that are destroyed by alcohol. And man, if we're going to be leaders, if we're going to be like people who claim the name of Christ, then here's the deal. If you're not captivated by the cup, like if you say, What's, I'm not really, I'm not addicted, it's not that big of a deal, then if that's true, then put that doggone cup down and stop drinking it so you can be a better testimony and a better witness to the world to let people know who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. Okay, I've stepped on toes, I'm moving on. But I believe it. Next word's Honest. God's Word says we need to be honest. Look what it says, verse 3. Not greedy for money, not covetous. You cannot be a person who is always running after money, like running after the get-rich-quick schemes, and be a follower of Christ. It doesn't work that way. Now, does that mean you can't have money? No, you can have money. You've just got to make sure, again, that you're not captivated by money. That's not all that you think about. And there are people today that greed is the number one personality trait of their lives. Like, they want more, 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 and no matter what it takes, I want more, and I'm going to get more. That is not what it means to follow after Jesus Christ. There is nothing wrong with having money. There's a man that I know, Tony, you know him, who has more money than any of us in this room will ever see. I mean, more money than any of us could ever even imagine. And that person, while he has just, I mean, just money like stacked up in a corner, like, like the, you know, I mean, just he probably has rooms full of cash, right? I mean, incredible. The guy's got so much money, and you would never know it by talking to him. You know why? Because money is not a big deal to him. It doesn't matter. He, he's got the money, but he doesn't care because money doesn't have him. 
He's a person who follows after Christ and runs with Christ and wants to do everything he can. And he is willingly spending his money all over the world to let people know who Jesus is. There is nothing wrong with having money, but you better make sure you're not living your life where money's got you. We've got to be people who are honest, not greedy. Last one, make sure we live lives that are godly. Verse 7, moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. The testimony of godliness is one of the greatest personality traits that any man or any woman could ever have. That when you walk into a room and people see you, that the first thing that comes to their mind, man, that's a man of God right there. Charlie Harbin, I don't know if he's here today or not. He sometimes comes, he's 95 years old, and somebody, he sits right over in that corner over there, and he's been part of my life since I was a kid, really. But when Charlie Harbin comes into the room, because I've known him for so long, and I know his life, and I know his heart, and I know his passion, when he walks in the room, here's what I think. There's a man of God. I just know it. There's a man of God. Is he perfect? No, but he's a man of God, and I know it without any question. When my dad walked into the room, I knew my dad. I knew, I knew, like, I knew things about my dad you didn't even know. Like, like, I've seen my dad get mad at me for doing things before. And I was doing things wrong, and I've seen my dad angry before. I, I mean, I've seen that about my dad. But here's one thing I know about my dad. No matter what, every time my dad walked into the room, the first thing that came into my mind is a godly man. Now listen, we have a responsibility as men, as women, who are Christ followers, that we live our lives in such a way that when you walk into the room, the first thing people think about you, man, there's a godly man. There's a godly woman. And that does not happen without work. It takes deliberate action. It takes diligent action. It does not happen overnight. You don't walk into church on a Sunday morning and sit on the front row and, and sing along with Scott and our team and, and hold your Bible up and say amen every time I say something from God's Word. And then you walk out and all of a sudden you're a godly man. That, that doesn't happen like that. It takes a lifetime of living your life so that when you walk in the room, people say, there's a godly man. But man, let me tell you, make that your pursuit. Decide today that for the rest of my life, I want to live my life that when I walk in the room, people think, yeah, he's not perfect, but there's a man of God. Those are the requirements that God has if you're going to lead in the church. But as I share with you before we even walk through that passage today, God makes it clear that leading in your home is more important than leading in the church. What I do in my home, in my family, is more important than what I do here on Sunday. More important. And so if God thinks these are the things that are required of me to lead in this church, then I say it again. Don't you think God expects that and even more when I'm at home? And the answer is wholeheartedly yes. So let's do that and see God at work. Father, thank you for your word. God, I pray that today, I know we've talked about a lot of things. It's, uh, it's uh, kind of drinking from a fire hose kind of idea here. I, I know there have been some things that maybe we struggle with, some challenges. Maybe there's some things that uh, maybe we've stepped on some toes today. I know I've stepped on mine a few times today, which is kind of tough because, you know, I'm the one preaching here today, but I know that in all of our lives, God, there, there are areas we need to work on. So, God, I, I just pray. Lord, speak to us. 
and change us and give us the desires of your heart, not ours. God, help us to to be walking in your path, not not ours. God, we'll give you the praise for the fact that when we have that heart, when we want to just run after you, God, that you will always deliver time and time again. God, we thank you for that. Lord, I pray that you bless these next few moments. Speak to our hearts today, and if there's somebody here that doesn't know you, God, I pray that you would help them to recognize and see, God, that being a Christ follower is different, yes, and it's worth every moment. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, we're going to stand in a few moments. We're going to sing together. And, and when we do, again, altar's open. Got a prayer request? Come on down. Fill out, fill out a prayer request, a card here, and leave it here. We pray over those cards. You've noticed out in, in the lobby, you've along the wall, thousands of prayer requests that have come in since even January the one, uh, 1st. And we pray over those every week. Maybe you've got a prayer request. Come down and just leave that here. Maybe you want to come and kneel here and just kind of pray and kind of get connected to God and maybe kind of pray with the family. That's, as your family, that's great. Maybe you want to come and join our church, come for baptism. Awesome. That's, that's terrific. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. And you've heard me talk about it a couple times today. And I'll say it one more time. God loves you. Say, but I've blown it. God loves you. I'm a sinner. God loves you. You don't know what I've done. Doesn't matter. God loves you. And God loves you so much, Christ died for you. And Christ died and he rose again three days later. And that all we must do, according to Romans chapter 10, is believe that Jesus is God's son, believe that he died and that he rose again. And verse 13, anybody who calls on his name will be saved. And today, I promise you this, no matter what you've done, God loves you and God will save you today if you'll just simply say these two words, I believe. And maybe today you want to come down and talk with one of our team members that are gathered here at the front. We'd love to talk with you about that, share that with you let you know who he is. Maybe you're here today and we've talked a lot about God's word and you don't have a Bible. You're just like, man, I, I don't have a Bible. Let me tell you, we've got stacks of Bibles on the corner of this, this stage that we give away for free to anybody who needs them because God's word is not something you sell. God's word is something that you give and you freely share. We've got them over. You need a Bible? We've got a Bible. Come on down. Whatever God is speaking to your heart about today, maybe you've not been leading as the man of God or the woman of God you need to be. Maybe you need to come and do this. You need to come here and get on your knees before God and say, God, I confess my sin before you. I've not been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And God, I want to change it today. Maybe that's what you need to do. And I encourage you, when we stand in a moment and sing, I encourage you to do just that because it matters. Let's stand together. Let's sing these words and step out right now. We want to take this opportunity to thank you for joining us here today. You know, at Thomas Road Baptist Church, since our very beginning, back in 1956, we've been about one thing and one thing only, and that is to bring the message of hope that comes through Jesus Christ to the world. And today, my friends, we recognize we live in a world that's messed up. We live in a world that's full of division and conflict and pain and sorrow. But Jesus came to this world not to bring division and sorrow, but to bring joy, to bring peace to bring hope. And today, that's the message that we want to share with you. And if you're watching this and you've never had the opportunity of of connecting with him at that level, of understanding what it is that Jesus came to do, then I encourage you and I want to let you know the greatest news you'll ever hear. And that's this, God loves you. 
He loves you with an everlasting love. In fact, he gave his only son, Jesus, to come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay for your sins and for my sins, to do for us what we never could do for ourselves. What an amazing gift that really is. God loves you. Christ died for you. But three days later, he rose again. And when he came out of that grave, he gives us victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. He gives us the hope for eternity. But according to God's word, it's very clear. What we must do is believe. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We must believe that He died and that He rose again. And if we do that, according to Romans 10, 13, anyone, that means you, it means me, it means every person that has ever lived, anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so I encourage you today to recognize that hope that comes through Jesus. And if you've never trusted Him as your Lord and Savior, do so today believing that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said that he did, calling on his name, and it'll change everything. That is the message that we share. It's a message that we want to take to the entire world. And today I would encourage you to connect with us, maybe even financially through a gift that you can help us to take this message around the world. I encourage you today to stand with us as we stand with truth, as we stand with hope, to let the world know God loves. Thank you.